0: Mark chapter 5, if you would. I want to talk about something that we just sang, uh, that uh, God is always there. And I, that's what I want to minister on tonight, is that God is always there. And I want to back that up just a little bit and say God's always already been there. Do you all know that when Abraham uh, raised the knife to Isaac and uh, the angel stopped him, and then uh, when, he was not, when he was willing to take his son's life in obedience to the Lord, and the Lord stopped him and he said, now I know you would, suddenly there was a ram in the thicket to satisfy the sacrifice that Abraham had been commanded to make. Well, God was already there. Matter of fact, that's where in the Bible Jehovah Jireh comes up. Hallelujah. The, the Lord that looks ahead. So he looks ahead where we are and he sends provision where we are. God is already there. So he was, he was there before the foundation of the world and he formed each of us. He put us, our personalities in. He put the gifts and the callings and the assignments into us. God was there. God is there. And I'm here to tell you, as you already know, God will be there. There is no challenge that you and I face that God is not already looked at it, Figured it out if you can use those terms about Almighty God. He's he's got the answer. Jesus looked ahead on the cross and said, and saw all of us and saw every day and every way. And he said, I'll take care of that now. Jesus took care of everything in our lives before it ever showed up in our lives. So I'm going to be in the amplified, uh, just two verses in chapter five. You know this, the Lord Jesus is uh ministering, as he always did, in Mark chapter 5, and it says, while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house who said to Jairus, your daughter has died. Your daughter has died. There's nothing more devastating than to have your, your spouse or your child pass away. You say, well, my parents... Well, everything goes down. It, it doesn't go up, it goes down. You invest in those that are under you, and that's how we pay back our parents and grandparents. He said, your daughter has died. Why bother and distress the teacher any further? Verse 36 says, overhearing but ignoring. Would you say that with me? Overhearing but ignoring. That's what I want to talk about tonight. God is always there, and he has put in us faith that ignores. Overhearing but ignoring what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not be seized with alarm and struck with fear. Only keep on believing. Overhearing but ignoring what they said. Overhearing but ignoring, but ignoring, but ignoring what they said. Now I want to minister to you tonight the word that says that faith is not deaf, but it is selective. Faith does not listen to everything that is said. It is said, and there is a, a presence of those words, but we have the power, our faith has the power, to ignore what shouldn't be heard. So that leads us to say that we shouldn't be in every atmosphere that's available. The Lord Jesus, if we read this story, and we will, He put all the... the uh, what do you call them, the mourners, he put them out because they weren't going to help him in his deliverance of the girl. Uh, Faith, your faith, my faith, the God kind of faith, the new birth faith, the faith of God that's in us at the new birth, faith gives you and I the right to exclude everything, anything and everything that is contrary to the word. And the reason we go to church, the reason we read the Bible, the reason we give ourselves to meditation is so that we will know what we can hear and what we cannot hear. What is of faith to hear and what is not of faith to ignore. There's things that must be ignored. So this, this would lead us to think that even in Psalm 1 where it says, uh, Blessed is the man that walketh not. And it'll talk about the counsel of the ungodly, the, the scornful. Um, what's the third one? Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Well, you're not going to get any faith there. Matter of fact, you're going to get doubt and unbelief. You're going to get persecution for your faith there. And so the Word tells us there in many places, don't do it. Be exclusive. Because if you don't ignore what is contrary, contrary. If you don't ignore what is contrary, What you hear will change what you believe. Now, we know this can be medical. If you're medical, you hear a lot. You know how stuff works out. You know how things go in the medical. And so it's difficult. It's challenging knowing all that, hearing all that, to believe God for a miracle because you already know enough to say this is likely going to go another way. We've seen this a hundred times, and every time out of a hundred, it went this way. And it, it's challenging to say, but this time it won't. This time God will. In, in Matthew chapter 12, Matthew chapter 12, stay with me on this. We're going we're gonna to fine-tune our faith tonight. Y'all settle down so I can get back to the word here, y'all. Not so loud, not so... Chapter 12, verse 36... The Lord Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, he said in verse 36, but I say unto you. Well, the but there that I say unto you comes after, he said, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth good things. And the evil man or the unbelieving man out of the evil or the unbelieving heart bringeth forth unbelieving things. Verse 36, but I say unto you that every idle word, every idle word, that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. Every idle word. That word is unemployed. That's the same word as unemployed. You know, someone that's unemployed is not generating or transacting with his life anything. So here he's talking about unemployed words. The word is also used in another place for the word barren or unfruitful or uh, and unable to produce. So he says, every idle word that men shall speak, they, the men that speak idle words, shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. Why is that? Because everyone will be judged for how our words limited the will and plan of God. If we limit that for ourselves or for others, if we exclude others with our words, exclude the miracle, exclude the uh, move of God, exclude the supernatural and say, well, this is the way it's going to be because this is how much money we have. This is how far the symptoms have progressed. This is what the boss has said is going to happen. If we exclude that with idle words saying that ain't going to happen, excuse me, that isn't going to happen. If we say that, then we're going to be judged because we've limited or excluded the potential the opportunity, the very life of God's Word that is sent to change us. So we have to guard our idle words. We have to eviscerate them. We have to get them out of our life. No more idle words. No more what the Word says, coarse uh, jesting. Coarse jesting. The Word says don't do it. Humor is, is fun, but coarse jesting is not. We can't. It's an idle word. It's a barren word. It's an unfruitful word. So uh, here we are. we got to change. If we want to change our future, if we want to possess our future, if we want to enter the land of promise and the land that flows with milk and honey for us, so to speak, we have to change our words. Ten spies would not change their words. Moses said, go in for the land that God has given us is is uh, is fruitful, it's bountiful. But they changed the words, 10 of them did, and said, it's not going to be fruitful, there's giants and there's walled cities. But two men says, it doesn't matter, we can take it. Their words were profitable and they got to go in while the 10 and their families and everybody that was over 21-year-old uh, did not go in. So let's go back to this verse 35 in Mark chapter 5. Uh, he said... Uh, while he was still speaking, there came some from the ruler's house, who said to the ruler Jairus, "Your daughter has died. Why bother and distress the teacher anymore? What is this? What is verse thirty-five? What would we call that? We would call that a report. They came into a situation, and they reported on something that was meant to move or or uh, uh, a steer." The situation, they said, what y'all are going to, what the master's here to do, it's over. The report is, is the daughter has died. And so we all get a report. Actually, we get a report every day. So When you don't feel good, when your throat's a little raspy or your head's a little bit uh, swimmy or, or a joint shows up and said, I'm here, it's a report. When, the, when there's a, a scuttlebutt around the office saying they're going to lay off, that's a report. It's a report. And it can be a good report, but it's not likely to be a good report. There's very little good report from the natural side of the world. So the good report has to be generated, it has to be initiated, it has to be contrived from something that is good. Because the evil, like uh, Matthew 6 says, the evil man out of the evil treasure or the unbelieving treasure of his heart bringeth forth evil or unbelieving things. Almost everything, if not everything, that's in the world is going to be from an unbelieving side. So when they report, they're going to always report like the ten spies. It looks tough, it looks hard, doesn't look like we're going to make it, it looks like we're going to fall short. If we make it, it'll be barely. And so everybody deals With reports. Could I have a better amen? Everybody deals with reports. There's good reports. We endeavor to be the church, a church, that only has good reports. We're we're over and not under. We're the head and not the tail. We're blessed in our coming in and our going out. That's the good report. You got a trouble? Don't leave like you came in Jesus' name. There's a good report when you got the word of God out here. And so, uh, remember in Isaiah 53 in verse 1, uh, right there, it's talking about the Messiah. And it starts out, it says, who has believed our report? Remember that? And, uh, then it talks about the Lord Jesus prophetically. So, uh, everybody deals with the report and you're either, when, when you're, when the report comes, we find ourselves reacting to the report in one of two ways. We're either ignoring the report, or we're repeating the report. If we do anything, we are ignoring it. I mean, if we do nothing, we are ignoring it. I don't hear it. I don't receive it. It's not a part of my life. If you're in faith and you have to go into the hospital or the doctor's office or something, they're going to bring you a report. Why, that's why you're there. It's because something's not working, and they come in and said, this is why it's not working, and this is what it's going to take to work it. Or we're repeating it. So mama comes in and sister comes in and brother comes in and Aunt Nelda comes in and everybody wants to tell Aunt Nelda, here's what the doctor said. Here's what the reports are. Here's what the tests reveal. We're repeating it or we're ignoring it. Am I telling it? That's the way it is with me. So how do you you get that right? You have to have faith in your heart. You have to... Faith comes or arises by hearing and hearing by the Word, so we put faith in our heart and faith then recognizes this is a bad report. I'm going to ignore it. But if you're not in faith, if you're just barely in the Word, you don't know if someone someone comes in and says, it looks like we're going to lose them. Looks like they're going to have to go under this procedure. Looks like we something bad's going to happen. We start We start repeating it. Oh, no. Bonnie's going to die. Oh, no. Bonnie's going to lose her leg. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. We start repeating it, and our words become unfruitful, unprofitable. They are unemployed. They are idle, and they will bear no fruit for our lives. If you would turn with me to Mark chapter 4. Did I tell you all we're going to tweak our faith tonight? We're going to. Keep it upgraded. Keep it sharp. I can hardly tell you how many times I've heard a message, and I've been I've been around a while, and I've heard a lot of messages. But I'll hear something that's basic, that's just like this. It's just everybody knows it, and it'll help me. It'll stir me up. Yes, get that thing honed out. Get that thing out to the edge. Get that thing in your life where you're sharp again. You've let that slip. You've let that go slack. The, you've been guilty of what he's saying or she's saying, and. And you need to, you need to spiff it up. Well, that's what we're doing here. We never, we never get too far where we don't need the word. Cause, cause the word has to be renewed. It's not like, well, I got that. It's, that's information where you know two plus two is four. That's information. You don't need that re, reviewed. But, uh, uh, by his stripes ye were healed. We do have to have that reviewed. He became poor that we through his poverty might be made rich. We have to have that stirred up and turned over and like a fireplace you got to stick a rod in it and stoke it and then it'll start flaring up again we have to have that that is our life revelation has to be stirred up so in mark chapter 4 let's look in verse 37 no yeah first 37 excuse me here here we have the story again and there arose a great storm I want to remind you it was a great storm a storm Means it wasn't just a a disturbance or a breeze, or it got gusty. it was a storm, and then there was the great storm. There rose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship. Look so that it was now full. This is a great storm, and he, the Lord Jesus, was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow, amazing amazing I have challenges to sleep on the pillow in a in a in a bed with an air conditioner on and with dark and with no noise and I'm going Lord help me sleep and here he is asleep in the in the great storm the peace of God that passes understanding was truly his and he was in the hinder part the hinder part of the ship asleep on a pillow and they awake him and say unto him Master cares not that we perish ah. Uh, Jesus was ignoring it. He had no idle words. He had no unemployed words. He had no unfruitful report, but they did. They all said, we're going to perish. So if you can't feed your faith, whatever you, whatever does not feed your faith, listen, listen, whatever does not feed your faith is the enemy to your faith. There is nothing neutral. Well, I guess you could say the, the day is beautiful or the sun is bright, but talking about situations, there's nothing neutral. It's either repeating it or it's ignoring it. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Faith gives us the right, the ability, even the responsibility to ignore idle words, unemployed words. When you hear something that does not, Feed your faith, it does not of the good report. Lest it taint your faith, we have to ignore it. You can't shut people up. You can't take it out of the newspaper. You can't turn off the TV to the extent of not knowing anything, but we can ignore it. And we're going to find here that we have to resist it. We have to resist it in our faith in order to ignore it. But here in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, look in verse 27, it says. 27, let him, excuse me, excuse me, verse 27, neither give place to the devil. Would you say that with me? Neither give place to the devil. One more time. Neither give place to the devil. So the neither there is conjuncting with uh, uh, be ye angry, sin not, and let not the sun go down on your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Uh, one... One version says, neither give attention to the devil. Now, uh, I looked this word up, place, and I, they had a lot to say about it. Neither give place to the devil. Uh, one translation or definition was neither give a room to the devil. Sure, come in. This is the Motel 6. We've got lots of rooms. Come in and take up. It means neither give occupancy to the devil. Neither give opportunity to the devil. Neither give, I like this, license to the devil. And then, uh, not so much, neither give address. Don't tell him where you live. Don't tell him you can move in. Neither give place to the devil. So what is place? What is, what is this talking about? It could be, it's not spelled out there. It could be, do not give power to the devil. How do you, we give power? There's only one way a believer gives power to the devil, and that's what it is his words. He has no words. He He has no ability to create. All creation is done by words. We alone have the ability to create. Angels cannot create. Demons cannot create. Certainly the devil cannot create. But if he can seduce or induce a believer to use his creative power to create something negative, something hurtful by using idle and unfruitful words, then it comes to his account. That's how he uses us, is we just say things that are unfruitful. I guess I guess we're not going to make rent this month. Wow. Wow. Do you think the devil could use that to bring that to pass? Use your mouth, your authority, your believer power to... Work that out because he's got permission. He's got a legal, a legal, whatever you say, a writ or a uh, a warrant or whatever. He's got a he's got a right to bring what we say to pass. It's not like he's empowered, but it's just already there out there, and he just manipulates it, and maneuvers so that it's likely to come to pass. Um, one, so we don't want to give him authority. And we certainly don't want to give him a bad report, which would be the same thing. One thing that uh, that uh, says neither, neither give place to the devil would be give him thought life. Fear talks about how bad it could be. Y'all know that? Fear does not say this is how it is. Fear says this is how it could be. How many times did, uh, well, I'll tell you, the boat was full that Jesus was in and everyone assumed that they were going to perish, cares not that we perish, but we're going to look here in a minute. Just because something has all the elements of going somewhere doesn't mean it has to go somewhere. You can be flat without money. I almost said busted, but you could be almost without money and think and think and speculate and make a report. We can't afford that. We've always taught that little kids in stores, you've seen them, they're going through the grocery store and they're at the checkout and there's all this stuff that's at their height and they're pulling it off the rack, you know, mommy, mommy, let me have this. And uh, it's a real temptation to say we can't afford that. But uh, what we say is it's not wisdom for that at this time. And the kid's like, what? Get in line. Get over there. Get out of there. You start directing them out of there. We've all been there. So I, I I thought just think about this with me they're in the boat he's asleep the boat is completely swamped there's a great storm there and they're saying lord cares not that we perish but think about it jesus is the master of water he walked on the water and how could the boat sink with him in it now just think if there was ever a safe place in this world to be Even if the storm's great, even if the boat's full of water, you want to be in the boat that he's in rather than be in one that's on shiny skies and calm and you want to be in the boat that looks like it's going under that Jesus is in versus anything else. So think about that. Put that in. Where Jesus is is where we want to be. What Jesus is doing is what we want to do. What Jesus is thinking is how we want to think even though it looks like destruction. It looks like we're going to go under if we go that way. I've been there many times as you have. In John chapter 12, y'all mind a little Bible drill tonight? John chapter 12. So in this case, in this case, Jesus resisted the bad report. He ignored it with the ruler of the synagogue's daughter. He ignored it, we didn't look at all of it, but we will. He put the he put the whalers out, and he went in there. And what he said was, "Is she's not dead? She sleeps." He ignored it, but here he resisted it. He resisted by going to sleep and letting his presence move that thing along. In John chapter twelve, verse twenty. Yea, yea, Lord. And there were certain Greeks among them. Verse 19, the Pharisees therefore said unto them, them. So there's Pharisees there. In verse 20, there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. These would be Gentiles. These were these were believing Jews. Uh, excuse me. Believing converts. The same came therefore to Philip which was a Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, or inquired of him, or asked him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. So obviously, uh, Philip is a gate of some kind. He's uh, he's the uh, security man, or the, the way you can't get to Jesus without going through Philip. Philip cometh and telleth Andrew. And again, Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. What are they going to tell him? These, gall- these Gentiles want to see you. Now look in verse 23 how the Lord Jesus responded. These men, they may have been wanting to give to him. They may have wanted to say, we have a plan for our city and we want you to come. But Jesus answered them saying, the hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone." But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth this life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my Father honor. Did y'all notice that he ignored the question? He ignored the audience, everything that Philip and Andrew brought him. He resisted it. He ignored it. He had nothing to do with it. Mark chapter 5, back in the Amplified. Let me look in verse 36 again here for a moment. Overhearing, but ignoring what they said. Overhearing, but ignoring what they said. Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not be seized with alarm and struck with fear, only keep on believing. And he permitted no one to accompany him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. When they arrived at the house of the ruler of the synagogue, he looked carefully and with understanding at the tumult and the people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had gone in, he said to them, Why do you make an uproar and weep? The little girl is not dead, but is sleeping. And they laughed and jeered at him, but he put them all out, and taking the father, the child's father and mother and those that were with him, he went in where the little girl was lying. Gripping her firmly by the hand, he said unto her, Talitha Kumi, which translated is, Little girl, I say to you, arise from the sleep of death. And instantly the girl got up and started walking around. So he ignored the crowd, the wailers, the circumstance where they all said she was alive, we saw her die, and now she is dead. So we have to do like the Lord Jesus in a bad report, in a situation where there's so many opportunities to agree with the bad report, to repeat the bad report, we have to resist it. We have to ignore what they've said and resist the obvious step of what is next. And this is what I want to talk about tonight, is how we jump to the obvious conclusion based on the bad report. For instance, what I said a while ago is having no money does not mean you cannot afford I can tell you wild stories of my own life, coming to Alabama with no money, practically no money. Uh, I had $3,000 in cash, and I had a car payment of almost $600, and my rent was $1,100 the first few months I was here. Hallelujah, hallelujah. (laughs) And yet, we never missed anything the Lord supplied. But we could have said and uh, would have been accurate to say, we're not going to make it. Where is the supply? And to this day, I cannot even tell you how the Lord supplied. I can't even enumerate, well, he sent this and sent that. There was no fish with two coins in, in, in its mouth, but there was just as much. Uh, having symptoms does not mean you will be sick, but the conclusion of one event always tempts us to make a, a conclusion on another event. In other words, the little girl dying... The storm coming up and being uh, terrible uh, made them conclude we're going to perish and the little girl will, don't trouble the master anymore, the little girl is dead. We conclude she's dead, therefore the master should go back to his busy schedule. Now I've done this many times where you hear a bad report and you accept it. You just say, well, and then from the moment you accept it, in our minds because this is the way we think and it's not wrong it's good but we start taking steps to plan because of that event what will be the next event so if someone's dying everybody's thinking well we got to get the mourners in here and start wailing and carrying on based on our culture because it was an important man in the community his daughter dying we got to have a lot of wailers and so they hired people and they came in and make a make a ruckus uh, we don't hire them in our day to day, but we fill up a church and we say things and do things that are contrary to the, to the will of God. With the will of God. I won't go into that tonight. But, uh, Jesus said to the, to the, the, to the ruler of the synagogue, he said, uh, he said, only keep on believing. So what happens when you get the bad report, the temptation is to what? Quit believing. So you can see that a bad report has amazing power. Believing being the only answer that we have to get to the other side, to get things done, the only way to get delivered and set free. And that an evil report has the potential power to make us quit believing. Now, family, I'm taking a lesson from this myself. Don't quit believing. If you say, well, I I got prayer for this situation, but it didn't seem to fix it, and I'm going to go in and have a procedure, guess I won't need faith. Guess I won't need prayer. Oh, my. Oh, my. Oh, slap yourself. Put Ask God for a brain cell. Ask Him for two BBs to spark in your head because you absolutely should go into any situation revved up even if you can't go into what you would consider the optimum. Well, I got prayer and I got healed instantly and it all worked out. I want to remind you concerning healing that miracles are instantaneous. Miracles are are events that follow that encapsulate the whole situation immediately. But healing is a recovery. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. But everybody wants, everybody expects to say, if they laid hands on me in in 30 minutes, I should be totally recovered. Or my conclusion is nothing happened. Curry Blake tells a story, and I heard it this week, about someone that called and said uh, uh we only have... My little whatever, my boy, uh, only has one day to live. The doctor said it's over. Would you pray? And so he did. Well, in two days he called to check on and said, how's how's the little boy doing? And they said, oh, 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 he's not doing any better. It's absolutely no better at all. He's just like he was. And Curry shut that down and said, wait a minute, you told me you only had one day to live, and here we are on the second or third day, and he's still alive see we're quick to we're quick to repeat the bad report and to conclude that God's not involved because we have a, uh, a a standard of what we think God's doing that's instant that's sovereign that's immediate that's powerful that's overwhelming that is noteworthy versus something that's just going on behind the scenes now we don't we cannot explain which ones are which why the miracles although there's definitely ways to to Promote that and why things are, are uh, slower in recovery, but absolutely it's all God. Amen. So he said, keep on believing. So we're going to quit tonight, but I want to remind you that symptoms and circumstances try to get you to change your answer. They are designed in particular and uniquely and specifically for you to get you with your personality, your experience, your fears, to change your answer. And so if we speak at all, we take the model of the Lord Jesus, who was tempted three times in the wilderness, we take his example, and if we speak at all, we can only say, it is written. Only believe, so we believe. So let's tune up our conversation. Let's tune up our reaction to an action. Something happens, it demands a reaction. Let's steer our reaction to get a better outcome than if we let the action rule and dominate our lives. If you are dominated by a action, you will be dominated again by another and more adverse action. The only way to stop an action from taking you under is to react with the word of God with faith and turn it around and steer it and make it obey you. And the more you get with that, the more we react uh, naturally to no, no, no. I don't take this cough. I don't take this pain. I don't take this headache. I don't take this, this bank balance. I don't take it. We resist it. Uh, uh James uh, 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. What else does it say? Resist the devil and he will flee. So there's a resisting and there's an ignoring. We are resistors or we are ignorers. We are not reacting in any other way. Amen? Amen.